Unchanged Cultivators discussion with the Band of Sisters, a powerful group of female executives who have authored the upcoming book, You Should Smile More, How to Dismantle Gender Bias in the Workplace, which comes out in September this year. In our previous podcast discussion with these very smart, charming, and extremely interesting ladies, um, which if you haven't heard, you should find on changecultivators.com or your favorite podcast platform for our previous discussions with them. Um, we had a chance to introduce the sisters, do a little bit of a review uh, of the day-to-day -day moments that break down uh, the book around gender bias and how to recognize it, how to approach it, and how to counter it. So Band of Sisters, welcome back. I hope you have been enjoying your time with myself and my co-host, Patrick. Absolutely. Uh, on behalf of the Band of Sisters, thank you so much for having us. Oh, no, thank you great. to you guys. It, this has been such a fun series of conversations with you guys. And as I just said, as we were getting ready to hit record on this episode, you guys bring such energy to these conversations and so much fun. And we're glad to have all six of you back together. And um, you've provided so many insights in our prior conversation. We've been digging into these moments that you cover in the book uh, and helping people recognize them and understand solutions to them. And I know we'll dig into that a little bit today. And, and I love that the book's just not about your individual six personal experiences, but you actually did the work, right? You, I know you interviewed a ton of people in different age cohorts to kind of get a sense of what this issue means today. You spoke to a lot of people in our network when we talked. So there's a lot of great stuff that you've done. And it's a, it's a really powerful, super incredibly accurate, accessible way that you guys have brought it to life so that people can really understand the issue and talk about solutions. So thank you. Thank you for being part of our podcast series. Really appreciate you all being on the show. Thank you, Patrick. So related to the impact of this very, very anticipated book, um, you ladies have also had some very powerful and influential people that have already read the book mm -hmm. um, and, and commented on it, uh, all of which are going to be featured on the book's jacket cover, correct? Yes. So, so I, had a, I had a look at a few of the comments and I thought we'd share them with our listeners uh, just to, to tantalize the taste buds on, on what is coming up. So Indra Nuye, former chairman and CEO of PepsiCo comments, for leaders concerned about attracting and retaining talented women, this is your playbook. You Should Smile More takes on gender bias in the workplace and provides practical strategic guidance at all levels for women navigating the working world and for men who would be allies and for leaders who know this topic cannot be ignored. Mike White, former CEO of DirecTV notes, this book makes a seminal contribution to dismantling the remaining everyday bias that all too often still pervades the workplace. And then Brian Cornell, chairman and CEO of Target Corporation says, they have written this book with one goal in mind, to help leaders, working women and their allies finally dismantle gender bias and build an environment in which true inclusivity, collaboration, and innovation can thrive. So some very, very influential uh, and powerful voices there. And I mean, you heard it there. I mean, these are very, very strong leaders, very credible leaders in their own right. And these are their thoughts on this book that is going to be hitting shelves in September this year. Some very, very high praise for your work. The um 
Yeah. So we, 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 I think that we've, um, yeah, we're very proud of it. And I think that it's, we love, love, love getting the feedback. And actually, I think one of the things just uh, two of the three that you mentioned captured it is we definitely uh, feel like there's definitely three audiences for this. Again, how do women react when they experience these micro moments and we mm-hmm. give them a variety of ways, you know, that uh, from diverse perspectives of how to uh, uh, approach it. If you're a boss and this could be a man or, or, or a woman how, try, wanting to have a most productive team and inclusive team. So how do they use the book? And then uh, the, the biggest group is the witnesses. So I think that, you know, they, they highlighted that, but we really feel like that's very important uh, and, 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 um, tool for all these, for all those groups. And we definitely do not feel that this is something that women need to solve on their own. They're a part of it, but it's absolutely a whole ecosystem that needs to approach it. And I think, you know, uh, building on that, that one of the key themes to both the comments in the book is the practical nature of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of academic research out there. There's a lot that's been written um, about bias in the workplace, what we tried to do was leverage our experience, our deep experience across a lot of companies and a lot of different levels to give very practical tools to each one of these audiences. And this is, you know, we, we really wrote it to, to hopefully really be able to make a change and to do that by being very inclusive in our audiences. It's not a male bashing book. It's hopefully a male education book. And, and we had some pre-copies that I've uh, given out to various people who've been interested, uh, uh, many uh, you know, male friends or associates who've read the book now in a paperback version and said, Dawn, I didn't know. This has been so enlightening to me. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, my attorney who read it said to me, he said, well, I'm never gonna call you a girl. <laughs> I, I learned about that. So um, anyway, that that's the hope is that we, uh, we are, are lighthearted, but we're also, um, you know, educating and sharing and open and um, that people get a little something that's right for them out of this book, whatever role you play. Mitzi. Yeah, we do hope people move from, to move from inspiration to action. Like someone will read the book and say, oh, wow, I can see from reading the chapter on mentoring and the importance of sponsors that I need to be more of a sponsor in addition to the mentoring that I'm doing. I need to advocate for the talented women that I see that aren't, don't have a voice or their voice isn't heard to showcase their capabilities so they can continue to move through the organization. So inspiration to action is what we hope. Yeah, and Mitzi, I love the, the concept of a sponsor. I was actually chatting to a senior male executive that's, that's run thousands of people teams and um, something happened. And I, I said to him, you should try and like, you know, be her sponsor on this. And he loved that. He loved it. So I think it's, it really is a nice friendly, it's opening up the conversation and it's actually how, and it's, you know, I think um, Dawn, you mentioned this in one of our previous uh, podcasts, that small nuances on words mm-hmm. that are just really small adjustments that can go from being demotivating to actually very mm-hmm. engaging. So I think that's the thing with the book is there's tiny little nuggets that you think, oh, that's so obvious. Why didn't I think about it? Mm-hmm. Um, that I haven't read the book yet and I can't wait. Dawn, I'm hoping I get one of those hard copies as well. <laughs> um, but um, just from our discussions, I think, you know, that's what's really come out for me is just these small little everyday mm-hmm. obvious tweaks we can make if they're front of mind. And, and, and- 
I'd love to say um, I loved how you read some of those endorsements uh, quotes at the at the front, and so much of that is the example that leaders set. And these are leaders of big companies, and for them to say this is something that you should pay attention to, we hope that that's a real wake up call for leaders yeah. to pay attention. Yeah, because mm-hmm. culture starts at the top, right? So Absolutely. if leaders are making this a uh, open, let's talk about it, let's get it going. It's an encouraging environment for everybody, right? Right. But you know, it it starts at the top, but it also has to be echoed and patterned Mm -hmm. and lived every day in the operating levels of the organization. Just having a vision at the top isn't going to change or improve your culture. So that's what the book tries to teach leaders. Anybody in the room can help. Yeah, let, yeah. Me, let, let me use that to dig in. Uh, one of you just mentioned witnesses, right? And so I, I learned from our previous conversations that you guys are target, targeting a couple of different audiences. And so before we kind of dig in a little bit of what we've been hearing from our network, I want to, what impact do you expect to have on witnesses? Because to your point, Dawn, it's not just about the leaders and the bosses. Um, so who wants to go first? Give me an idea of like, A, remind our listeners what 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 your term witnesses mean, but, but then B, what impact do you hope to have with witnesses that might really be something that somebody who might grab this book and go, I've got to get into this because I may not be the leader, I may not be this, but I'm somebody who needs to be able to learn to that. So Angelique, what, tell us a little bit about witnesses and the impact you guys may want to have from a that particular audience standpoint. Well, one of the things that we talk a lot about is getting more people into the conversation. So mm-hmm. as Don said, it has to start at the top, but it can't stay at the top. It has to get through the organization. And this can't be left to women to solve. And that's another thing that we, we talk a lot about. So think about this huge audience of witnesses in the room, men and women, who could be um, allies and who could really be co-conspirators in advancing the conversation. And we hear a lot when we talk to audiences from people who say, well, I don't necessarily have the power, but I'd like to do something. Mm -hmm. And what we like to say is, everybody in the room has power. Every Mm -hmm. witness has power if you acknowledge and pay attention and, um, you know, step up. Love that, Mm -hmm. see? I would love to think that this now puts pressure on people. Like if you're in the room, you have a responsibility that you just can't sit back there. So when you're, when you're in the room and people will say, Hey, Susan, will you take the notes and be like, why is it always Susan or Jane that's being asked to take the notes? Be like, Hey, can we spread this around or go up to the boss afterwards? Or, I mean, there's just thousands of examples that you sit there and don't, we don't want people to sit on their hands anymore, men or women. And hopefully through our, the language that we talk about, the examples, people are now more aware of these situations to notice them and then think like, yeah, why is it like that? How do I become part of the solution? You know, part of the solution. So, so somebody says, Jane, can you take the notes? Bob can say, hey, I'll take these notes. I'll take the notes yeah. today. Yeah. It's very easy. Or maybe yeah. even say, hey, Jane, always take some notes. Why don't I do it this time? Do you even put, even put more light on it? Lori? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, so I'm a, um, when you read the book, you'll see I'm a compulsive note taker and a homework doer. And so one of the things I've been doing as we've been talking to different people is kind of keeping notes of language that other people use that I want to liberally borrow. And somebody that we spoke to a few weeks ago, we talk about this notion of, uh, you know, from how to go from being a bystander to being an ally, like there's no such thing as just being neutral. If you don't do anything, you're sort of complicit, but you can go to be an ally. And this person uh, brought home something that I think his young daughter had learned in school, which is to go from being a bystander to an upstander. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember if it was one of you or somebody else. And then this morning we were having a chat with 
friend of the uh, family, Dr. Ella Bell from um, the Tuck School up at Dartmouth. And she has great language about being a co-conspirator for the allies. So she's saying, no, I wanted to be more. Anybody can be more than just an ally. They can sort of throw their, their whole selves into it and actually really be somebody that sort of commits to like lean forward and make change. Mm. Very mm. cool. Very cool. So I, we go, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's such a, it, a sensitive topic this for many people you know I think everyone has such different reactions to this topic of gender bias you know it's mm. do I want to go there it's a hard topic you know where do I go in I'm a man I can't have it or you know a woman I don't want to sound like I'm complaining but I think that you know we are talking to so many change cultivators and leaders mm -hmm. in this podcast and one of the things that is coming up more and more is the need for empathetic leaders. So I, I would say to our listeners, see this as building your empathy muscle about actually standing back and understanding, observing, getting into someone else's shoes. Because, you know, leaders of the future, if they're not empathetic, they're not going to be going into to roles. They need to show they understand people. And we're seeing this come up all the time when we speak to recruiters. They're like, I need empathetic leaders. This is the biggest change we've seen, you know, through the pandemic in the last three years. So I would say to our listeners, look at this as your learning and growth of your empathy muscle. Mm -hmm. That's really well said, Ross. Awesome. So Roz mentioned our Change Cultivators network of people. So um, because we've been having these great conversations with you guys, we reached out to our network and we said, hey, we're talking to this group uh, who has done some tremendous work about packaging things up around gender bias. What thoughts would you want to hear from them? So we took the liberty of uh, screening some comments that we may have had. Let's start with this comment we received from somebody on our network. Oh, and I will tell you, once I pushed this out through a couple of different social platforms, it resonated pretty strongly. Uh, I think the one that I won't even ask you is one, one former client of mine, a very senior woman exec said, where would you like me to start? And that was, <laughs> and, and it was literally, okay, that's helpful. Perhaps we need to talk on the phone, not just kind of share notes. So I it literally, it was just, where would you like me to start? But let's dig into something that might give us a little more meat to go on. Um, so we talked, we, we talked in all of our conversations around gender bias. Do you guys think there's a certain industries that just won't change, right? So every industry kind of is colored a slightly different way. Um, you know, are there certain industries or industry leadership? And I actually think this quote came in from somebody who participates in one of those industries. Um, is there any industries that you think are probably more problematic or more stuck in old ways that might be instructive for us to talk about? <laughs> well, I, I can offer an opinion on that one. So um, when I started at PepsiCo, I'll date myself in the late 90s, my phone rang and I picked it up and on the other end of the line was a male voice who just, I was newly hired, who just said, you'll never succeed here and hung up. So I didn't bother me, phase me, okay, I'll, I'll keep going. But by the time I left PepsiCo, uh, it was a very different place that are really committed to being a place of, of not only diversity, but of inclusion. So it was able to change and it needed to change. It needed to change because of what the talent base was and the people that were coming out of business school and out of college and who we wanted to work for us. And that old culture wasn't going to stay. Now I will say that when I went into sports, now I went into sports in the late uh, 2010s. So just, just you know, six years ago, um, I felt like I was walking a bit back in time. 
-hmm. And I think that is an industry and Katie will nod and, and some of the others who have been in sports, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Lori will mm -hmm. nod. It's just an industry to whom diversity came late and therefore culture is held up. Mm -hmm. And, but I believe, and, and I'm, I also sometimes uh, do some public speaking and I speak to, I'm often hired because of the fact that I can talk through a football lens. I'm hired to talk to largely male comp industries. Mm -hmm. So finance, oil drilling, uh, things that are, and, and I will say that I believe in the, in the end, all industry will change. Mm -hmm. It will have to because of the talent base. The talent base is not mm -hmm. only female, it's highly diverse, it's global and people vote where they want to work. More and more uh, uh, people vote with the culture. I will go work where there's a culture that I like and I will stay there or I will leave. And, um, and so industries are going to find they don't have people. And I think in, in the case of sports, you know, sports, a lot of people love sports. So they kind of, oh, I'll go work at sports for, I'll, I'll, I'll put aside the things that drive me nuts about it because I love it. But eventually it catches up with them. And that's why I think most industries will have to change. Yeah. And I think also, Dawn, you know, a lot of um, it, women are starting to go into non-traditional industries. So if you look at, you know, the UK game of cricket, I mean, the female cricket uh, teams of increasing soccer, you know, you're seeing so many more women coming in, even things like engineering, you know, women are starting to also do different skill sets. I think that's probably also going to be quite a good driver naturally. Uh, you know, from the bottom up. I think so too. I think as as your um, as people want to expand their portfolio of consumers, they're going to need to diversify their uh, employee base as well, mm -hmm. because there's going to be a demand from consumers that corporations, companies are investing in the communities, uh, and that investment takes place in terms of employment of people that look like them. Katie, mm -hmm. did I see a hand? Yeah, I mean, I think we still will need pioneers probably in some industries to help push the conversation forward. And I, and I think we are seeing that. And I, you saw my head nodding when Don talked about um, stepping back in time when you go to sports and it was similar for me. And what I found was there was, you know, some interest in understanding that they needed to move forward, but a real clunkiness in the how. Um, mm -hmm. It was, so it's, it's kind of to both be, I guess, applauded, but also um, helped shaped and directed in those companies because they just did it in a ham-handed way sometimes. And that's, there's definitely opportunity in a lot of places to get better and to have more tools and mm -hmm. uh, conversation, I think, that helps them do it better. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the reason that this topic is so interesting and important for our change cultivators listeners is we're trying to talk to leaders about how to lead during time of change. And this is a transformation, right? And, and in many industries, they may have to transform more than other industries. And so what you guys are speaking of is so powerful because this topic in and of itself is a transformative opportunity for companies. And I love how you're taking it. We got to do it because the talent base is critically important to shift to. We've got to do it, as Mitzi said, because the consumer base is to going to demand it. And so mm -hmm. there is not, what I hear you guys saying very clearly is there's not an industry where that can hide from this. Um, the, the, the forces of change are really happening and good leaders and good, um, you know, your term witnesses need to recognize that they're part of the role of being able to drive this transformation forward to make the organization better and stronger. Right. Mm. 
And, Angela. you know, one of, the, one of the things that that strikes us is this is imperative. This is going to happen. But nobody is great at it yet. Um, but the, the companies that we find that are the best at it are the ones that are actually admitting that they have a lot more work to do. Mm. Um, and so that willingness to listen and find new ways to listen, because otherwise, like either it's discussed openly or it's whispered in the hallways. And you don't want to be in the companies where it's whispered in the hallways because that's the, you know, employees are a really important stakeholder group um, nowadays, as we've been saying. So um, how do you get that conversation to be in the open and productive? Mm. And it comes up to culture, right? It's what's the culture that is fostered. And, it, you know, we accept this and we do not accept that. And it's up to leaders to enforce that culture, you know, because it's not a... Oh, you know, there's the dub, you know, the, the women's network, it's that group, you know, it's, it's, it's a sort of sideline meeting kind of thing. It's actually, how do we live it every day from the minute we walk into the office into a meeting? It's, it's not a project, right? It's a culture. Right. And, you know, Roz, you, you mentioned, you know, new fields that women are going into. So take engineering. Mm -hmm. If my daughters are young today, I'd say, oh, go, go be an engineer. So much opportunity. Um, but I think, in the general field uh, in Silicon Valley of engineers, about 15% are women. Mm. And there's a real war for talent. Every company mm. wants more diversity and more gender diversity and all kinds of diversity. And they are competing for it. And yeah. great opportunity, but people, and I, and I know a number of women are voting, as you say, based on the culture, right? Mm -hmm. I might get offers from five different companies mm -hmm. and they might be good uh, high salary offers, and there might be slight variation between them, but they're thinking about where will I fit in? Where will I like the culture? Do I want to work? And if they go into one of these very male environment engineering firms and it's not working, it's easy for them to switch. So if yeah. you win one of these fields with a real war for diverse talent, that culture is going to be amplified in terms yeah. of importance for you. Absolutely, the spotlight's on it. I was, um, I'm working with a, a company that's doing VR, Metaverse, uh, for children, headsets. Um, and I asked to see, you know, the, the engineering team. And, um, the, you know, it's, it's eight to 16 year old kids. And my question to them was, are there mothers on this engineering team? You know, are they from different cultures? So is it being done in Asia, but actually it's going to be launched in the UK or the US? Like culturally, are there women, are there mothers actually helping to design what their children are going to be using? And I think technology is so exciting because it's opening up more mm -hmm. of these alternative industries because women, mothers, you know, carers are involved more in what the next generation is going to be involved in from a tech point of view. So very exciting time we're living in, you know, to, to drive this. I'm going to jump to one of the other listeners because we had so many exciting, uh, fun, fun uh, things coming in. Um, one of the other listeners said, teaching people of all genders to be comfortable with candid conversations and conflict is such an important thing. It mm -hmm. took me until motherhood to gain those skills. So many young women are groomed to be peacemakers and to shy away from conflict. To be heard, all of us need to be comfortable embracing open communication, which is just what we were talking about, even when it is uncomfortable. So I know we've already touched on that, but any yeah. other thoughts specifically in this area? 
Yeah. So I, I, it's funny when I, when I saw your comment about, um, I didn't get this till motherhood, I thought I had said that. And I'm like, oh, that is, that is interesting about how being a mother forces you, you don't get a choice. It forces you to deal with a lot of uncomfortable situation, especially when a second child comes along and you're kind of having to, you know, be a, like a, a mediator. But I guess what I was going to say for me, so this is something that like resonates really strongly with me. Personally, I feel like I was kind of brought up to be a little bit of a peacemaker. My dad was someone who liked to mix it up a little bit. And I think as a result of that, I kind of went the other way and was someone that was always trying to make everybody happy and peaceful. So, you know, one thing I'll, I'll just throw it out to start is in general, when you're dealing with something that isn't comfortable or natural for you, what I always in my coaching work always talk to people about is lean on the things that aren't comfortable for you that are comfortable for you rather lean on your strengths when you're trying to address some of these things that aren't comfortable. So the example I always use is, you know, as I said before, I'm kind of a note taker. I'm a, like a doer of homework. And so when I have to, when I have a review, my natural tendency is to say all the things that I want to do better at, and then just sort of minimize my accomplishments a little bit, because I don't want to come off as like, you know, someone who's bragging. And so what I do in that case is I prepare notes and I literally have them on the top of my folders of the things that I did well um, that year. So it forces me in a way, use my preparation skills to lean into something that isn't, you know, isn't that comfortable for me. Another totally different example is if you're trying, if you're someone that let's say you've realized like you don't always speak up in meetings um, and it's something that you're working on, what you might do is enlist some of your allies, like before a meeting to say to some folks, hey, this is something I'm working on. I would love it. If you don't see me speaking up, whatever, would you be kind enough to say, hey, Lori, did you have something you want to add to that? So again, it's a little bit of preparation, but it's a little bit of using that notion of an ally um, to help you. And then a third thought would be in terms of, you know, using something that you're good at to help you with something that doesn't come naturally. A third idea might be using technology. So one, and I just, last week I had two face-to-face -face board meetings and I found myself both times. I am not shy. I am not quiet. Um, and yet a couple of times over the course of the week, I found myself wanting to jump in, jump in and not being able to do it. And it reminded me that I've really grown to enjoy the chat feature um, on Zoom. So when I have a question, you raise your hand, you know, uh, with the uh, digital raise hand and you put your question in the chat and you cannot be talked over or ignored. So again, I think both using allies, using technology, and then using your strengths to help you get more comfortable leaning forward um, mm -hmm. and in dealing with difficult situations or, or three things I would kind of start with. So I, I want to pick up on one thing Lori mentioned um, and Roz, your question uh, or your listener has, was talking about how young women are groomed to be peacemakers and shy away from conflict. I think they're also somehow groomed to be humble or feeling like they can't brag. Mm -hmm. And Lori, Lori mentioned this also. And this is definitely something that I've um, had to think a lot about as I've evolved as a leader, um, that it's not about bragging, but it's about making clear what the work has been. And it's been helpful for me to think about it as 
in service of my team. Yes. Because if I ever have trouble saying like, I did this, I did that, but my team needs to get recognized. Mm. My team needs to get credit. And so therefore I need to be um, louder about that. That's always helped me. Katie. I see Kate, Katie. So I am, um, I have a slightly different take on this. I think I um I think in your comment, um, the, the, the listener comment about teaching people of all genders to be comfortable with candid conversations and conflict is really critical. And, and I say that because in, in my experience, I can think of more times where the men that I worked with shied away from conflict. They pushed it down. They pushed it to the side. They didn't deal with it directly. They dealt with it kind of in the, in the hallway rather than in the meeting room. And I, and I found that women, and I do think the mother piece um, is interesting because I think a lot of times working mothers just don't have time to like <laughs> deal with nonsense, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, and you just need to take emotion out of it. And, and that's what I've always tried to go back to is take emotion out of conflict to the extent that you can. Ideally, in many cases, you're talking about difficult business decisions. You're talking about you know, telling one group no and another group yes, and and making those types of difficult trade-offs. And you have to remember that's why you get paid. You know, that is that to me was the the more senior you get, it's it's not like you're working necessarily a whole lot more hours, but you're getting paid to make difficult decisions, and you need to own that. But I see this as a as a broader. Um, challenge in the workplace than a gender specific one. That's been my personal experience. Yeah. yeah and just Laurie, before you, you, you I just want to respond to Katie there. I think also open conversations cut down time. Like how many times has there been like, you know, a perception of offense or something and it's left and left and left versus just That's picking true. up the phone and saying, hey, did I read that wrong? Whatever. Oh, two I didn't mean it like that. Two minutes, you move on. It's productive, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. actually, it's just about getting comfortable saying, if I feel offended, there's also responsibility on me to go figure out whether it's my perception or whether the person meant it in an open conversation. Often just you laugh afterwards thinking, well, yeah. how did we both land up there? But yeah. having spoken about it now, it's all good. So yeah. Laurie's. Yeah. Yeah. Roz, I'm in your camp. I, I coach people, clients, and I talk to them about running to the conflict mm -hmm. and thinking of it as a problem to solve. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so many times we tell ourselves these stories about how yeah. bad things are going to be. Well, how good might it be? Mm, exactly. Right? And if you run to where the problem is, that's also where you see some, okay, you mentioned emotion, you see the emotion. That's what, that's how you know what's important to people. They yeah. have some skin mm -hmm. in the game. There's something at stake for them. So being mm -hmm. comfortable approaching it in terms of problem solving, I think is helpful. So mm -hmm. smart. Yeah. See, see, I see you sneaking in there and we didn't come to you. I'm sorry. No, I, I was going to say this also, I think runs very closely to the women's uh, need to be liked or having a higher need to be, you know, likable. And I feel like it's, um, I feel like throughout my career, I feel like I had, and I definitely fall into that camp of having a high degree to want to be liked, but I feel like I would try to think like, you don't have to be liked, but you need to be respected. And so how do you, 
how do you you know get your points across even though they're 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 not necessarily always uh, the most popular. And I used to think of like when I used to play a lot of sports when I was younger, and I was always impressed that the guys would play. They'd pick teams and they could hate the person, but they're like this person would be really good on this team, and so they could have people that really they dislike. And I feel like the women, the girls in this case, would want to pick people they kind of liked. And 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 I feel like I was always thought there was interesting that they could pick someone they absolutely disliked, but they knew they would they would be good. So I feel like occasionally I try to channel that. And 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 take that risk to potentially be not as popular. And I think that um, my fear actually was never really materialized. I can't think of times where I took unpopular position that I actually wasn't liked, but it was this fear out there. But that helped me get past it. Yeah. I, I, I connecting the dots between what Mitzi said and what you just said there. See, I mean, it's it's such a great takeaway for people to get their heads around. We're in and and link even link back to what Katie was saying. We're in our jobs to accomplish a goal, right? There's a business issue or something we're supposed to be operating on frame the problem and run to the problem mm -hmm. is what Mitzi's saying and then just work as a team to get it done and it doesn't really mm -hmm. you know get rid of the other extraneous stuff that might be getting in the way of that and I think it's just such a powerful message and I'll use it to kind of segue to kind of a related question that we got from a different listener um which was you know how do you how do so maybe speaking to the women who are listening to us how do the women now I'll say it this way since I can how do the women women do a better job at guiding our male counterparts to kind of come on this journey with us, right? Um, you know, how it's about doing this together. And I think you just set that up really well. It's, it's about working on the business together yeah. and getting this done. So is there some kind of quick tips and tricks you'd give, um, you know, how do you get the, how do you get the guys on, on, on board better? How do you get the, the men to kind of be on board in a mutually effective, safe way? Katie, do you have any thoughts on that to start us off? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think my first reaction is there is a there is going to be probably a level of uncomfortable in this and you still need, as Mitzi said, you still need to run towards it. Um, but it, the business imperative is there. And I think that's what we've been talking about. We've been very clear about that. So again, if you can talk about, hey, I, I think we're on the team together that we want to build a culture where we can bring in the best people mm -hmm. and let's talk about some of the things that we think are barriers and bring the conversation, bring the language. It's a lot of what we've tried to do. And I, and we've seen, we do have this proof of concept of the men in our lives that we have brought into this conversation, either from around the dinner table to around the boardroom. When you bring up these situations and you make people aware of them in a non-confrontational way, not in a you are doing this kind of way, but more of a, hey, let's let's understand the situation, then you see a level of um, acceptance and understanding. And that comes all the way back to where we started with Roz on empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are all these things. These are business imperatives. I think that's the easiest way to get into it in a um, in a non-emotional and you know this this non-attacking way that somebody might immediately feel back on their heels if they feel like they are being now a representative for every man and i think it's get no woman wants to be a representative for every woman so right. it's getting that out of the conversation yeah and, and you know we we often say you know we wrote this book assuming positive intent for men not mm -hmm not pointing fingers, but I also would say, assume naiveness, right? There, a lot of it is just a lack of insight, a lack of putting themselves in our shoes, a lack of stopping to think about it. And while not all people 
uh, will react this way, a large percent will be, oh, I'm so glad you said that to me. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, you don't have to do it publicly, or you can, you do it nicely and just educate and, and hope that in doing so, a majority will change their behavior and that will help change culture. Mm -hmm. there, there was a story that that we heard um, in one of our conversations where um, some incident happened and afterwards um, uh, somebody called the man and said, hey, I want to talk to you about this. And uh, he he said, oh, so you're so you're calling me out. And the person said, no, I'm calling you in. And we thought that was a really great phrase because it's 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 not supposed to be a finger pointing thing. It's supposed to be an inclusive thing. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And it's a foundation of any relationship, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's a male-female relationship at work, whether it's a relationship with a child, with a friend, with anybody. It's mm -hmm. how, you know, how, how do you build? How do you go deep? You're vulnerable. Um, you, you know, you're open and you're honest. I mean, it's actually mm -hmm. quite basic principles. <laughs> See, and you go, Roz, you can go back to something you said about things festering and getting worse mm -hmm. as time goes on. I mean, in I've, had, I've learned this in my professional life. I've learned it in my personal life. If there's something bothersome or something's not working, it, it take care of it right away. It'll exactly. be less of an issue. It'll be mm -hmm. more efficient. Yeah. It'll move things on. And sometimes just quickly, nicely confronting that issue just moves things along quickly and easily. And letting mm -hmm. it sit around for a couple of weeks makes it bigger, more serious, a bigger deal, harder to yeah. handle, slows things down. Yeah, I have a rule of thumb. If something's nagging at me for more than 48 hours, I pick up the phone to the person because mm -hmm. I'm like, I know it's not going to go away. If it's still there after 48 hours, I need to deal with it. <laughs> I think that there, there are some of uh, conversations I've had with, with, with men that they're actually, they love now feeling like they're, they, they have inside knowledge or they know like, oh gosh, people are talking about this. Or I didn't realize that women count the room. I mean, that's something, one of our chapters, this whole idea that people do this math in their head and like, I'm one of 13, I'm one of 43, or there's two of whatever. And, and everyone thinks it's, everyone thinks they're the only one that does it, but all women do it. And then they start talking about it. I think the guys now are like, wow, I should count the room. And how many are, how many women, how many people of color are there or whatever? So they view it through that lens. And I feel like they now feel like they, they're, they're aware of what other people do. So they actually think of it as like an asset now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we touched on, on this in our prior discussion, um, but I want to just do a quick lightning round on, on this as a question for our Change Cultivators listeners, um, and that is in, in times of change, disruption and transformation, uh, what does the future look like for businesses that get gender equity right? I'll, I'll jump in. I, I was doing a, a women's leadership program a couple, couple months mm -hmm. back and did a lot of research and Ken, McKinsey had published a report that said um, leadership teams, senior leadership teams that were diverse from a gender perspective and boards uh, performed about 30% better performance wise than those that didn't. And so that's encouraging. Mm. I, I, if I would summarize, I think the future looks bright and what companies can expect is greater impact um, from the diversity of thought, diversity of experiences, diversity of cognitive thinking and creativity. I think when you expand the diversity of people in the room, particularly around gender, particularly around people of color, you're gonna get more solutions, you're gonna get better solutions. And I think greater impact is what companies can expect, companies mm -hmm. and organizations. I think that it's, I think it's, they're gonna be able to retain uh, uh, 
get talent, retain it, and then have better business outcomes. I mean, it's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort I, of a, I was going to say the same thing. It's really, it's about dollars of, of, on all fronts, right? It's, it's, you're going to pay less to re, to recruit. You're going to pay less to retain. You're going to have more time to actually be focused on the business. And you are going to have uh, a more robust talent pool that mm-hmm. talks to all of your possible audiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love thinking about it in terms of stakeholder capitalism, um, because it's not just you know the end game for shareholders. Stakeholders matter in that equation, mm-hmm. and employees are one of those key stakeholder groups. And building on what everyone just said is understanding how you're going to get the best out of that um, stakeholder group means you have to be paying attention to what matters to them and how you create the conditions for success. And we know that the conditions for success in people feeling like they are heard and their ideas are credited and they belong at work also leads to great creative success, Mm -hmm. also leads to great business success. Like it's the same conditions for success. Yeah. I'll add to that. I don't know if anyone on the call is familiar with that expression of flow. Like when you're doing something and you're so just wonderfully focused on it that you don't like time, just, you don't even think about what's happening with time because you're just really putting your full self into what you're doing. And I think about, imagine um, to build on the points about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, but imagine if, you know, half your population weren't sort of distracted by these micro moments or microaggressions, but instead had more opportunity to just be in flow and, you know, solve problems for the business and add more creative thoughts and really bring their full and best self to everything that they could for your business. Yeah. And healthier and happier employees, right? We spend what 70% of our time with our colleagues. So that's right. Enjoy it. I I think of the future optimistically just based on demographics. I mean, more than uh, I think the middle of this century, century, the middle of this decade, like in the next year or two, 60% of people graduating from college are going to be women and many of them diverse women. And if you look at the millennial generation, which is not young, I mean, it's like the leading edges in their early 40s. They they are the leaders of the future in companies. They're 50% diverse. They look at the world. My kids are a different generation. So companies are going to have to change in mm-hmm. order to get the talent. And the other thing I'd say about young people is they're very good at starting businesses and they're very entrepreneurial, more entrepreneurial than I was when I came out of college. Right. So if they're not feeling in a good place, they'll go out and start something. So companies really need to make sure that they're getting their, their talent. And I think, I think they're going to change and they're just, just going to change by, by virtue of who they're employing. So smart. Um, some, some can win faster than others if they evolve their culture faster. Yeah. Betsy? There's a word we often forget is just plain old fun. It'd be a fun mm. place to work. Exactly. <laughs> fun environments, more inclusive, kind of back to where we started. I love that. So I feel like, well, A, I'm sad because we're wrapping up our last conversation together. Um, and we wish you guys super well on all the other stuff you're going to do to promote uh, the book. Um, I feel like we've kind of teased people a little bit with some great nuggets, but I know there's so much more in there. So uh, unfortunately I've got to wrap us up, but the book comes out, I think on September 6th, correct? 
Correct. So, so those of you listening right now, mark your calendar, September 6th. I'm sure there's a pre-order period that you should be rushing to, to get ahead of that, um, to make sure that when it does drop on September 6th, you are right in. If you want to keep up with the sisters, the band of sisters, it is exactly that. The band of sisters.com is a great way to kind of get in the loop on this discussion, because as we've learned in some of our episodes in this, in this series of conversations, it's not just about a book right? It's, it's about this community and building things to kind of tackle this issue over time. So um, with that, I, I thank all of you for being part of the Change Cultivator's journey. Uh, I always love it when we have conversations and I feel like we've left some really good nuggets for the listeners of our podcast and those in our Change Cultivator's community. Um, and I think we have a, a plethora of those from the conversations that we have. So on behalf of our team, thank you, Roz. Any final thoughts from your perspective before we wrap up and say goodbye to the sisters? Oh, no, just that it's been fantastic getting to meet you all. And I hope we get you back. I'm, I'm looking forward to six months after the book's launched to hearing the, the feedback and the, the market response to it. So thank you for choosing us to come and discuss it with. And uh, we've got the, the insider track here for our listeners. So ladies, thank you for your time. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, 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 Thanks to both of you. <laughs> Good luck. Appreciate it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Two, three.